If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, True Crime Besties, welcome back to an all-new episode of Serialistly. Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of Serialistly with me, Annie Elise. Boy, oh boy, guys. Wow, do we have a lot to talk about today. Now, for those of you who maybe are brand new to this podcast, don't really know the format and how we do things, Monday I usually give you guys a full deep dive on a single case where we go through the ins and outs of it, the weeds, the works. Then I go, on Thursdays, I give you guys an episode where we talk about a bunch of other cases going on and some of the ones that are happening in the news right now, updates for cases that we have talked about in a deeper and longer way. And we just kind of like summarize some of the new updates, talk about new breaking cases. It's a little bit of a mixture of everything. But if you hate it and you don't dig it, just let me know so I can change. Because like I said in the last Thursday episode, I like to consider myself a podcaster of the people of sorts where you tell me what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear and I can adjust accordingly because the whole point is I'm here to deliver you content that you want to listen to, not deliver you content that you have no interest at all in listening to. But I think you are going to be interested today because like I said, we've got a lot to talk about. One of the things I'm going to get to, not in the start of it, but at some point, is the tide kind of now turning on Gypsy Rose. We saw when she first got released, everybody kind of like lost their minds, went batshit crazy over her. They were advocating for her, fangirling over her, and now there has been a stark shift in what the public is saying about her. And honestly, kind of for some valid reasons, which weren't really illuminated before, but we'll get to that. We are going to talk about the Jennifer Dulos murder trial with Michelle Tercro- t- uh, with Michelle Turconis. I all have a hard time saying her last name. There's actually quite a bit we're going to talk about. Let's start with this first case that is coming out of Pennsylvania. So Alicia Owens is a 20-year-old woman, and she was recently arrested for fatally poisoning her boyfriend's 18-month-old daughter. 18 months, guys. This little girl, Iris, was a tiny little toddler, and this 20-year-old woman fucking came for her viciously because the details in this case are just so gut-wrenching, there really are no words. Also, as a reminder, please just always be careful with who you bring around your kids, guys, and always keep a watchful eye no matter how much you think you might trust them because when you hear the details of this case, you'll understand why, and I feel like it's just such another clear illustration of the importance in that. So Alicia was living with her boyfriend, Bailey Jacoby, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And on June 25th, he left the house to go to the store, and he left little 18-month-old Iris with Alicia. Now, while he was out, Alicia called him and said that there was something wrong and that he needed to come home immediately. 
So he rushed home, and that's when he found Iris unresponsive, and he called 911. So little Iris was rushed to a local hospital and then was later airlifted to another hospital because of how severe her condition was. Unfortunately, four days later, though, she died of organ failure. Now, Alicia initially told the police that Iris hit her head after she, quote, cramped up and fell off the bed. However, the autopsy showed that she died due to a fatal level of acetone in her blood. Acetone, guys. Additionally, she had ingested numerous water beads along with button-shaped batteries, those little, you know, small circular ones, and also a metal screw. And that apparently happened months before she died. So during the investigation, trying to figure out what's going on here, police also searched Alicia's phone. And that's where they found some very disturbing Google searches. And we say it all the time, right, guys? The Google searches, they will uh, get ya. She had been looking up, quote, information on household products that could cause a child serious harm or death, including water beads, batteries, and nail polish. She also did a search for beauty products that are poisonous to kids and also medications leading to cause accidental poisoning deaths in children. Now, we know that there were batteries found in her system, water beads found in her system, and then acetone in her blood, which acetone is found in nail polish remover. So clearly, it looks like it was the roadmap and the searches and a digital footprint to show what the cause of death was, the premeditation element to it, all of those things. So the police chief in Newcastle told the media that the investigation shows that for months, the defendant conducted meticulous research on how certain substances harm children. Then she allegedly acted on her findings. So apparently Alicia had been living with Bailey, the dad, for about a year before any of this happened. So police have completely cleared the father, Bailey, and he's not charged in this case in any way. I just want to make that clear. But now Alicia is facing a homicide charge. Also, attempted homicide, aggravated assault of a child, endangering the welfare of a child, and other offenses regarding conduct leading to the baby's death and other acts of abuse in the months prior, such as all of the things that she ingested, which I can't help but wonder, was Alicia trying to feed her these things, hoping that... It would either make her choke or create some sort of block in her system in her system and her intestines, like these water beads, the batteries, all of those things, because she clearly was searching it online, right? So was she trying to feed those things to her? And then when that wasn't working, she just straight dosed her with nail polish remover. It is so absolutely revolting and sick. She's currently being held in Lawrence County Jail without bond, which Thank fucking God for that. Sorry, I know I'm cussing and a lot of you guys don't like when I cuss. I'll try to do better. I just, this stuff gets me like super heated up. I honestly can't imagine anything more evil and low than going after a toddler, a baby. And to think that she had been doing this for months until she was finally successful, it is so unhinged, so sick, so deranged. And apparently when she was in court and read her charges, she was completely emotionless. Now, what on earth could be the motive in that? Is it that you are so jealous that the baby is getting more attention than you with your new boyfriend and that like you're threatened by an 18-month-old child? That is so crazy. And like, just like, honestly, it is really bananas. I just don't understand it. And the fact that she was emotionless while these charges are being read to her, it's like, to me, that just illustrates not only was this premeditated, 
but you are cold, you are callous, you are not remorseful in any way. It's really just sick. And now poor 18-month-old little baby Iris is no longer with us and her dad has to grapple with that and deal with the fact that he brought this monster into their lives and that she did this all while being under their nose. It's so incredibly devastating and sad to think about. She's absolutely a piece of garbage in my mind and that kind of makes me want to move over to another absolute pile of human feces. I'm trying not to cuss guys and just give you a little trigger warning if you don't like my cussing I'm about to go off so please just bear with me but we're gonna annihilate this guy right now together. We're talking about the Harmony Montgomery case and many of you may be familiar with this case. You might remember When I talked about it over on my YouTube channel, it was this sweet, beautiful little girl with these glasses, so sweet, and just had a really tragic upbringing with like the bottom of the barrel type human beings in her life. It really is heartbreaking, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about the background here in a second. But the defense attorneys for her dad, Adam Montgomery, who is accused of killing his five-year-old daughter, Harmony, now want to have his charges, both assault and murder, into two separate trials. So like I said, if you've been following either this podcast for a while or my YouTube channel, 10 to Life, I did an in-depth episode about this case, and I'll link it in the show notes below too. I did quite a few episodes, but then I did like one mega deep dive so you didn't have to watch like a five-part series. But Adam is definitely one of the biggest pieces of shit that I have ever covered. And that's saying a lot. I'm putting out content about five times a week between the pod and my YouTube channel so to say that he's one of the biggest piles of crap that we've ever talked about that definitely says a lot and he is for sure in the top 10. So in an affidavit investigator said that Adam beat Harmony to death in a fit of rage after she had a bathroom accident accidentally wet her pants and the accident happened while she was in the car that the family was living in at the time. And so he apparently like beat her in a fit of rage because she wet herself, which, hi, that happens with children and toddlers, especially if you're in a car sometimes. And then after that, he started moving her lifeless body from one hiding place to the next, all in an effort to conceal the stench of her decaying remains. Now, this also included freezing and de-thawing her body multiple times. You heard that right. He would freeze her, dethaw her, and move her again, trying to mask this smell, trying to mask the remains. And he would stuff her into coolers that her body didn't fit in. I mean, honestly, the most heinous things possible, which now you understand why I get so heated here. Now, Harmony's body still to this day has never been found, but one of Adam's friends testified that he was with Adam the night that they got rid of what was left of poor little Harmony's body, but he didn't know the area, the exact area that Adam was driving, so he wasn't sure exactly where they had stopped. Now, the fact that Adam has the audacity to still claim he's innocent and now even wants to separate his trials, probably because he thinks he has a better chance of being found not guilty of murder, but guilty of assault, so why not split them? It's just, I don't even know. I don't even know, guys. So the prosecution agreed that Adam does have the right to have the trials separated, and the state said that they are ready for either route. The state said that if the trials are severed, prosecutors would want the assault trial to happen first, since that is the older charge and it would be relevant in the murder trial. The judge said that she will review the request and expressed concern about doing it at such a late stage in the process because jury selection is scheduled to start on February 6th. So stay tuned. Next, let's talk about 
a new case that is coming out of Missouri. It's suspicious. It has Colt written all over it, allegedly, and it's pretty wild. A lot of you have been DMing me this too, asking me to cover it because you know I love cults. You know I love like sniffing out cults. So authorities are now searching for six people, including two children, and they disappeared and they are believed to be members of an online cult. Three of the missing people are from the St. Louis area, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce these names, but I apologize if I butcher them. I haven't been able to verify the exact pronunciation anywhere, and I know you guys hate when I butcher it, but I just want to give that disclaimer. So, like I said, three of these missing people are from St. Louis, and those three are 24-year-old Michaela Thompson, 25-year-old Michaela Wickerson, and 3-year-old Malaya Wickerson. Then there's three more missing people. There's two who are from Lakehorn, Mississippi, and that is 27-year-old Jarrell German and 3-year-old Ashton Mitchell. And then the last person who's missing is Naman Williams, who is 29 years old and from Washington, D.C. So they were last seen on August 13, 2023 at a Quality Inn in Missouri. The police first opened an investigation the day before on August 12th, after their disappearances were reported. And now it's coming out that they were in a group called the University of Cosmic Intelligence, which is led by a man named Rashad Jamal. And police described this group as a spiritual cult. The group also has a YouTube channel with over 200,000 subscribers. So, I mean, a pretty big following, right? Now, the missing people were active on social media and shared Jamal's videos. They also disconnected from family and friends. They quit their jobs. They apparently meditated outside without any clothing on. They worshipped the sun, and they also had polygamous relationships. They also changed their names to honor what they believed were gods and goddesses. This is something we also saw in the Twin Flames University cult, which, spoiler alert, we are doing a massive deep dive on that come Monday because the documentary and docuseries didn't even cover the scratch the surface, cover the surface, scratch the surface of what's really going on in that cult. And like I did a full deep dive into the backgrounds of these people. I mean, there is a lot to go over and kind of, I'm kind of on the fence with it. I'm not on the fence. You'll have to listen and you'll understand what I mean. But anyways, so in one of the last conversations that Naman, one of the missing people, had with his mother, he told her that she was not his mother, that she was just a shell and a shell that brought him into the universe. Now, here's what's even more bizarre about all of this. The leader, Jamal, is currently serving an 18-year prison sentence in Georgia for child molestation. So police spoke to him, and he said he doesn't even know the missing people at all, and that he just has this YouTube channel that people follow, saying, quote, I'm just giving you my opinion on a plethora of different subjects, from metaphysics to quantum physics to molecular biology to marine biology to geography to black history to world history. I'm giving you my opinions on these things. That doesn't make me a cult leader. Now, Rashad Jamal's website says this on it. It says, online university is geared toward enlightening and illuminating the minds of the carbonated beings, aka your so-called black and Latino people of Earth. Now, I just want to say, guys, as like a little PSA from me to you, anytime there is an online group, spiritual or otherwise, that has any sort of mission statement or tagline that talks about enlightening anything or being an enlightened being or illuminating Anything like that, run for the motherfucking hills, okay? Because that is literally, I think, taken directly from the cult dictionary. Like Miriam's cult dictionary, that is what they always say. It's about enlightenment, the road to enlightenment. 
run. So police don't really know if there is something wrong here or if there is foul play at hand because other members have apparently traveled at great lengths to live off the grid and stay with fellow cult members. So they're just trying to find answers right now and they're having a really difficult time doing so. However, police did say in a statement that the purpose of sharing this information is to locate these individuals and bring awareness to other law enforcement agencies who investigate similar missing persons or come across sovereign citizens displaying this type of behavior. Berkeley police said that it's extremely troubling to the family members of all of the missing people and that the level of disconnect that these cult members have demonstrated with friends and family members is just unfathomable. And remember, out of all of those, even though the majority of them are adults, they range, you know, 29, 27, 24, 25, there's a three-year-old, two three-year-olds actually, two three-year-olds. That is so beyond scary. So I will definitely keep you updated in that case as soon as we know more information. But we'll table that for now, and we'll talk about my favorite Carolina piece of garbage, Alex Murdoch, because he was back in court this week, and I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I freaking hate talking about this guy, but he was back in court for a status hearing to prepare for a very lengthy upcoming evidentiary hearing. Now, the evidentiary hearing will allow evidence to come in for the new judge to decide whether or not it's sufficient enough to prove the allegations that were made by the defense. And then, if legally, Alex did not receive a fair trial and would have a reversal of his conviction. So Alex's defense team told the judge that the controversial clerk of the court, better known as Miss Becky, purposefully tainted the jury so that she could sell more of her books that she was writing about the case, and they are requesting that because of this, a new trial should be granted for Alex. Now, this has been happening for a while now, and we've all known that. The judge made it very clear that the scope of questions about Becky Hill will be very limited, and this isn't going to be a trial for her in any type of way. So a lot of people who beforehand were thinking that maybe this was a viable legal option for Alex to get a new trial, they're now not so sure because of how limited the defense will be in bringing up their side of the argument. So the question is, will we see a new trial? I personally am going to guess no, but as always, I will keep you updated on and posted on anything coming up with this case. So let's pause now too and go into Gypsy Rose. Gypsy Rose, Gypsy Rose, Gypsy Rose. All right, for all my podcast listeners out there who ever have a hard time sleeping, whether it's you have a tough time sleeping or if you have a tough time staying asleep, I know for me, anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like I never can fall back asleep. I'm up for hours and it's just chaotic. I'm going to share with you my secret sauce. And it's not so secret because I have shared it before, but it's something I literally legit use every single night and it is Beam Dream Sleep Tea. Now, let me tell you about this tea, guys, because it's only 15 calories. It has zero added sugar and it tastes like hot chocolate, straight up. They have so many amazing flavors. And while I used to be a sea salt caramel girl, I'm now obsessed with the peanut butter dream or the brownie batter dream. It is so, so good, so sweet, tastes just like dessert. I drink it 30 minutes before I want to be a sleep. It tastes like a nice little dessert. It's a perfect way to end my night. And then bam, I'm asleep within 30 minutes. I stay asleep. I don't wake up feeling groggy. I feel refreshed. I feel energized. I mean, I have tried Ambien. I've tried melatonin. I have tried valerian root. I've tried it all. Nothing ever worked for me. And I actually had some pretty gnarly side effects with all the other things. Beam is my go-to and I'm so thankful my husband introduced me to them. And today, my listeners get a very special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. They're science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. The numbers also don't lie, guys, because in a clinical study, 93% of participants reported that Dream helped them get better sleep. 
sleep. For me, even my aura ring has showed that my sleep scores went from the 60s to now the 90s. So if you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Elise and use code Annie Elise at checkout. That's shopbeam, B-E-A-M dot com slash Annie Elise and use code Annie Elise for up to 40% off. So like I mentioned in my last podcast episode, the internet will turn on just about anyone and they will go like full bore asshat before you can even blink. And I think that might be happening right now in this moment to Gypsy Rose. When she was first released, the internet, especially the Gen Z demographic, went absolutely feral with the TikTok videos, also with Instagram posts, with tweets, and just everything else. In some weird way, she was essentially being idolized. And no joke, I even saw someone who had a painted photo of Gypsy done on their acrylic nails. I mean, it was just absolute madness over her release. But as more has come out, especially as she has been on her media campaign, many people seem to be doubting Gypsy, and they're starting to think that there is more to her than just being a victim. Especially after she talked about shooting her mother with a BB gun before her mother's death, without knowing that it was a BB gun, not a real gun, and she didn't know that it wouldn't kill her. But then she went on a podcast saying that she doesn't identify as a murderer because she didn't commit the actual murder. Yet, she's talking out of both sides of her mouth because while, yes, she didn't commit the actual murder, even though she kind of teed things up and we'll talk about some more details that came out regarding that, even if she, how is she not identifying with being a murderer? Because she point blank said that back in 2011, after a heated argument with her mom, she picked up a gun, which she didn't know was a BB gun. She thought it was a real handgun and she pulled the trigger several times trying to, oh, she says she wasn't trying to kill her mom, but what else are you trying to do when you're pulling the trigger on a gun multiple times? Injure them beyond repair, probably. And she admitted to that. And then it was a BB gun, of course, so Dee Dee survived. But how are you not identifying as a murderer? I, I I don't know. I guess. I get it. I guess because she didn't actually die. But let's keep going. So there's a TikTok that I saw that went absolutely viral over the weekend. And it implied that maybe there was more to the actual murder than the public really knows. Her ex-boyfriend, Nicholas, admitted to stabbing her mom, Dee Dee, right? He admitted to stabbing her four times to be specific. But the autopsy report showed that Dee Dee had actually been stabbed 17 times. So after he was first arrested, he was pretty straightforward in everything. And he admitted in his part right away um, versus Gypsy, who immediately acted like she didn't have a single clue that her mom was dead or what was going on. He pretty much copped to it right away, saying, I was trying to save Gypsy. I love Gypsy. And he said, I stabbed her four times. So I'm not in any way implying that Gypsy did stab her mom. But that TikTok did raise a fair question of who was responsible for the other 13 stab wounds. Did Nick just black out and do all of it and not remember exactly how many times? Or is it possible that he wasn't the only one doing the stabbing? Or is he lying altogether? But what would the motive be for lying when he was so forthcoming with the information? He also never once has tried to throw Gypsy under the bus, especially when he first confessed. So it isn't like he was going to try to implicate her in any way. It just really isn't making sense. And I'm just going to go off on my, you know, armchair detectiveness for a second here. Take it with what you want. This is just something that's popping into my mind. It has absolutely no proof or validation. But usually when somebody is stabbed multiple times, it's called overkill, right? And we see a lot of times that that happens in a crime of passion, something where somebody knew the person, a thrill kill, something of those sorts. 
13 stab wounds that are unaccounted for, 17 stab wounds in total. I don't know if that's technically classified as overkill. In my mind, it would certainly feel like overkill because that would take an extreme amount of muscular strength to go up and down what, I don't, I can't do math right now. What, 17 times two for 34? Am I doing that right? I need my son here, my four-year-old son who is better at math than me. Um, That takes quite a bit of exerting your muscles and your energy. So I don't know. There's something here that just doesn't quite sit right with me. And there's more reasons for that, which we'll get into. It's just considering how brutally honest he was about the murder itself, it would just seem weird for him to intentionally lie about how many times he stabbed Dee Dee. But maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something people are just, you know, it's going viral and people are taking note of it. It's just an interesting TikTok and it was even more interesting to read the comments on it. So on top of that, many people think that Gypsy might just be some kind of master manipulator. I mean, we do know that she was raised by one, and her mother went to great lengths to ensure her scheming and her deceitful ways were not public knowledge, which truthfully, she was really good at manipulating, and Gypsy being raised by her has many people thinking that maybe Gypsy might have taken on to some of those manipulative behaviors, especially when it comes to knowing how and what to say to ensure that the public stays on your side. But I also want to play for you another clip that I recently discovered, and it's an interview that Nick did just a couple of years ago. And in this, he talks about Gypsy's role in the planning of the murder. And again, while she's not the one who committed the murder itself, as we know, as we have heard and believe, it does show the calculation and the premeditation behind it. And I just thought that this interview was kind of interesting. So take a listen. Oh, yeah, she was deeply involved with it. I mean, uh, just like it says in his police statements, uh, like I said, right with while I was talking to them, it says just pretty much word for word what I told them. Uh, she uh, told me before I ended up getting there uh, in a text that the, there was latex gloves that be on the porch. She did say that. Right on the text is as clear, clear as day that you can actually see it. Uh, and then, uh, well, I ended up finding them when I got there and I let her know that I was at the door. She opened the door and she made sure I had the gloves on before she gave me the weapon. And she made sure that she wouldn't let me open the door. She made sure I had those gloves on before either of those doors opened. So that's the reason why you ain't going to see any fingerprints on in there either, any of that stuff. And then from that point on, uh, well, my darker part of me took over and... Because she knew right away that I admitted straight out to the whole thing that I was not going to get involved with this, no matter how much she tried to push me. It was going to have to be a darker side of me of some form that I have never had the opportunity to explore. So I did not know what it was capable of until that dark night. Once that night came, I knew fully well what it was capable of. And at that point, there was no time going back because this from the first step I walked into the house, I knew there was no coming back. There was two thoughts that came in my mind. One was a benevolent thought. Another one was a malevolent thought. It was almost like having a devil on one shoulder and a angel on the other. Basically, what happened was uh, I had one thought in my mind out of nowhere appear, and it just appeared. I didn't know. It was almost like, I guess you could call it God is what everyone likes to call it him talking to you or an angel talking to you through him maybe basically saying take her and run that was the benevolent thought take her and run as if 
it was uh, uh, the kind of feeling that it was basically trying to influence on me as if I was somehow going to get away with it if I ran away with her, as if somehow we were able to keep her mom at bay better than she was able to in the past when she ran away. Uh, however, the other thought came on my mind was because uh, it saw as basically because the darker part of me was also in love with the darker part of her. And because of it, uh, the thought was, is uh, excuse my French, but it basically said, this bitch is dead. Uh, not letting her get between me and her, this bitch is dead. Basically is what it, the thought was. And uh, unfortunately, I ended up listening to my darker side because I wanted to be with her. And I remember what she said, and I wanted to believe what she was saying. And unfortunately, I should have listened to my other part of me. Uh as ironic as I was trying to influence her to go with, but she never went with it. She never wanted to run away. So I couldn't get that to work. But anyways, as uh, the whole uh, thing happened, she ended up, uh, as I was walking through the hallway that led to her room, her mom's room and so forth, uh, she ended up going to the hall bathroom. Uh, she locked it. And I waited at least a minute and thought about if I really wanted to do it. And, before I was to do it, allegedly, I was willing to do it. Uh, the next thing I know, I ended up going right into it and thought there was no going back because I already I had myself on my word. And So what do you guys think? Do you think that Nick is lying about Gypsy or is there something more that maybe we don't know? So now I want to talk about a murder case. And it's one that I've talked about before. It is one that breaks my heart all over again every time I hear about it. We've talked about Jennifer Dulos before over on my YouTube channel. And again, I will link that full episode in the show notes. Now, if you haven't heard of that case, let me know if you would like a deep dive of it on the podcast. And let me know either through Spotify or in the Q&A section or Apple Reviews. Because I was thinking about putting an episode over here that's more in-depth, but I'm not sure if I was going to do that since, like I said, there is already an existing video on my channel about it over on YouTube. However, now, as the trial is unfolding, what I'm going to talk about is more ongoing. It's new information and even new evidence that has come out. So as a quick summary, Jennifer Dulos was last seen alive in May of 2019. She is absolutely this beautiful, stunning brunette, lives in Connecticut, has five gorgeous children, this mega huge Connecticut mansion, like, it, it just like from the outside looks like a flawless life, right? Which was clearly anything but. So her body has never been found, but she has now, as of this week, been officially declared as dead, with police finding that she died a violent death at the hands of Fotis Dulos, the man that she had filed for a divorce from just two years prior to going missing. According to court documents during their divorce proceedings, Jennifer said, I am afraid of my husband. I know that filing for divorce will enrage him. I know he will retaliate by trying to harm me in some way. So after Jennifer disappeared, there was a lot of suspicious stuff going down, and ultimately, Fotis and his girlfriend, Michelle, were arrested for their involvement. Also, Fotis's lawyer had some really shady involvement, and like, talk, like there was, I think, a grave that had been dug. I mean, it's a really very peculiar case, but in any event, there were like cars not matching in front of the Connecticut home. Things weren't looking good at all for Fotis. So Fotis, the lawyer, and Michelle were all arrested. It's been a very tough time for the whole family. Um, we're all very worried about Jennifer. How do you think the public looks at you? 
It depends. I think that the people that do not know me, they probably look at me as a monster. As a monster. Yes. Uh, and that is because of the information that has come out. And I cannot speak about what happens. Uh, so they take the narrative that they see from the arrests, the arrest warrants and what is being reported in the press and they draw their own conclusions. So I've already been convicted in their mind. What do you want people watching to know? I want them to know that this is a very, very challenging time for my whole family and um, we just have to be patient to get to the other side and see what happens. Do you have any message for Jennifer's family? Yes, I send my prayers. I, uh, I had my differences with Jennifer, like many people do when they go through uh, a marriage. It didn't work out for us, but that doesn't mean that I wish her ill in any way. Now, the husband, Fotis, he, I think, knew what was going to happen. He knew that there was a lot of evidence against him and that he was going down for this. So he ended up killing himself in 2020 while he was out on bail. And Jennifer's body has never been found. So it now is leaving his mistress-slash-girlfriend, Michelle Turconis, to take the fall. And now, Michelle is finally on trial, nearly five years after Jennifer disappeared. Michelle is accused of conspiring with her boyfriend slash Jennifer's husband because they weren't officially divorced, and it can, she's accused of conspiring with Fotis to cover up Jennifer's murder. Prosecutors say that Fotis brutally murdered Jennifer at her home before then disposing of her body in several trash bags with, of course, Michelle's help. She is charged with a slew of crimes, including conspiracy to commit murder, tampering with physical evidence, hindering prosecution, and even more additional charges. Now get this, guys. Michelle was with Fotis while he was dumping 30, 30 bloody trash bags all across town, where he was, of course, caught on camera doing all of this because he is just a complete moron. He also didn't know what Find My iPhone is, which is what he said during the 911 call that was played in court. However, Michelle insists that she didn't know Fotis was doing anything nefarious as she was watching him toss garbage bags into random garbage cans all around town. Because apparently that's normal, right? You just go along with your boyfriend. He's like, hey, I'm going to make a quick pit stop to 30 different trash cans around town. Like, what? And as if that isn't even believable, listen to this. She also helped him write a timeline of their whereabouts on the day that Jennifer disappeared, which she's saying was just a coincidence, that she didn't know that Fotis had anything nefarious to hide, which, again, so you just have a handwritten alibi because that's normal? No, 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 no. Spend a month breathe, with you breathe, guys. I can do whatever you want, but I didn't do it. Well, you know she has always said that she doesn't know what happened to Jennifer or where her body might be. In court so far, police body cam footage showed law enforcement officers searching Jennifer's home after she was reported missing. And in the garage, the officers saw blood spatter on the front of Jennifer's Range Rover SUV. The officers also saw red specks on the concrete floor and a pinkish-reddish area that looked smeared, as if someone had cleaned a large blood stain. The defense team tried to keep this evidence out of trial, saying that the luminol used to illuminate that blood is just junk science. But ultimately, the evidence was let in, and jurors were also shown photos of what appeared to be blood on the paper towel roll. So the nanny that took care of Jennifer and Fotis's five kids also took the stand. She talked about the dynamic between Jennifer and Fotis, and when Jennifer found out about the affair with Michelle, and how that all went down. And you'd mentioned that 
Mr. Dulos was a, a role model to you during this time. Mm -hmm. why, why did you consider him to be a role model? Uh, when I first started working, he was just incredibly nice. He made me feel comfortable. He was funny. He, you know, I was fresh out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And he, it sounded like I was getting this really great opportunity, even though it had nothing to do with any of the work I've ever done. And it seemed like he just wanted to push me and, you know, make me better. And did there come a point in time when the dynamic between Jennifer and Mr. Dulos began to change from when you first met them? Yeah. Could you describe how the dynamic changed for the jury? Uh, the big dynamic change was in March of 2017, which is when Jennifer found out about his affair. And a few months after that, it, it totally changed. So I want to direct your attention now to March of 2017. Did you take a trip with the Dulos family? Yeah. And where did y'all go? Uh, the kids had a two-week break, and so the first week we spent in Aspen, Colorado, and then we flew to Miami for the second week. Who went on the trip? Uh, the first week was myself, five kids, Jennifer Fotis, and his friend Mark Massiello. And I think you already mentioned this, but why does the family decide to take a trip in March as opposed to... Oh, the kids, um, their school vacation, they get two weeks off in March. So that's why they get, we went in March. Where were the kids going to school at the time? They were going to Renbrook. It's in Farmington. I'm sorry? It's in Farmington. And when you, where in Colorado did you vacation? It was Aspen. And what types of activities did you and the children do while on the trip? Well, they ski, and they're very good snow skiers. So they would ski. Um, Noel, who was younger than everyone else, we kind of would just kind of hang out, walk around the town a little bit. She would ski a little bit. Or whoever was, like, tired, they would, like, basically come back with Jennifer and I, and we would do, like, the hot cocoa stuff. And the other, But they skied a lot. And how old was Noel at this point? Uh, six, maybe. And where did you stay in Aspen? Uh, Jennifer's father won a house through a charity auction, so we stayed there for a week. And um, did there come a point in time during the trip where Mr. Bulos told the group that he had taken the children to an adult club? Yeah. Who was present for this conversation? Myself and Jennifer. How did Jennifer react upon hearing this? She like shocked because they were little and they were going to a day club. Um, and so she was like, we were both kind of like disgusted, I guess is the word. And what was Mr. Dulos's demeanor like as he was relaying this information? He was excited that he like paid off the people to let his kids into this day club where, yeah, he seemed really happy about it. She also discussed the day that Jennifer went missing. She noticed that the Suburban was gone, and Jennifer said that she was going to be taking her Range Rover that day into the city because she had an appointment. The bloody paper towel roll that I mentioned a second ago also comes into her testimony. Take a listen. 
Did you notice anything unusual when you went into the garage? When I went into the garage, yes. Um, the Range Rover was still there, and the Suburban was gone when she told me she would be taking the Range Rover. Did you see any blood-like substances in the garage or on the floor? No. After you walked in the garage, where did you go? So I enter through the mudroom, and I usually put my stuff. She had these cubbies, and I put my stuff in the cubby, and then I go to the kitchen. So I went in the kitchen. When you got to the kitchen, did you notice anything unusual? A couple things, yes. Tell the jury what you noticed. So first, her purse was on um, the floor. It was between the mudroom and the kitchen, like the doorway. It was a big, like, structured purse. And I thought it was just a little odd because it was a really nice handbag and it was on the floor. But I didn't look in the bag, so I just kind of figured she took her phone and her um, wallet with her to New York. And then when I entered the kitchen, her she always had a tea, like in a certain cup with her, and a granola bar. She ate it every morning. It was just part of her routine. And it was there. The tea was still full and the granola bar was still there. So I thought it was a little strange, but I just figured she was in a rush because I knew she had to get to the city. So I just cleaned the cup of tea and I put the granola bar away. As you were cleaning the cup of tea, did you notice the paper towel roll on the countertop near the sink? Yeah, so the paper towel roll was empty, so I went in the pantry to go grab another one and noticed that there were only two rolls of paper towels left which was odd to me because i the night before i just put 12 rolls in there um but again i was thought maybe the kids spilled something and they used a lot of paper towels michelle's trial is still ongoing and she may take the stand in her own defense which would be very very interesting now the reason this trial is so interesting is because there are a lot of people who think that maybe she really didn't know she had no idea she was just this blind girlfriend to all of it but of course there are also a lot of other people like me who think that of course she knew of course she knew they were stopping at all these trash cans along the way they were writing a handwritten alibi what else would she have been doing like make that make sense it just doesn't again like the alibi is what really gets me why would she make a list of places that photos could have been on the day that jennifer went missing and this list was later found i believe like crumpled in the trash can so it was something that they had written down and i believe they had tried to hide i need to go back and like refresh my memory because it's been a couple years but it's just wild now, on the other hand, a lot of people think that the charges against her might be too harsh for a jury to find her guilty, given that most of the evidence clearly points to FOTUS. So definitely, again, let me know if this is something that you guys are interested in, either a case deep dive or updates of this trial. This is a case that has always stuck with me. And there, like I said, there is a lot to go into this. The lawyer involved, his shadiness. I think he was even having an affair on his wife. And they were like best friends, too. It's wild. So if you want that deep dive, let me know either the Q&A section on Spotify or the review section on Apple. So that is what I've got for you guys today. If you haven't listened to the Monday episode this week, you definitely, definitely should. It is I think it's one of the craziest cases in terms of twists and turns that I've ever covered. So many of you guys have commented on it as well, whether it's on YouTube or over here on or over on the Spotify Q&A saying, holy crap, Annie, I had no idea that that's how this case was going to end. I totally thought it was going to end differently. It is one of those where you like think you know where it's going, you think you have it figured out, and then bam, it just like slaps you on your ass. No, it's, 
Okay, that's not what I want to say. Not slaps you on your ass. Slaps you on your back. What's the expression? I mean, whatever, you get it. But it's one where it just like completely catches you off guard. And you're like, I can't even believe that this is real. It's also now a new documentary on Netflix called American Nightmare. But as you know, all these documentaries, all these docuseries never really go into the full details because they have to consolidate to like a smaller episode. And so we like to do the deep dives where we actually dissect everything and figure out everything that really went into a case. So take a listen to that if you haven't already. All right, guys, that is all I've got for you. Thank you for tuning into another episode. If you're not following the podcast already, make sure you take a quick second to follow along. Also, don't forget to let me know in the feedback section what you guys like about the podcast, what you want me to start doing more of if you want the deep dive of Jennifer Dulos. Also, leave a rating if you are so inclined. It totally does help the algorithm at the end of the day. And that's all I got for you today. I hope you all are having a great day. I will be back with you for another true crime update very soon. Also, Fridays, I drop my ad free bonus episodes so if you want to listen to something without any ads you just need another true crime fix make sure to check that out that's over here on the podcast too and you can either access that through apple or over on my patreon which i will also link in the show notes all right that's all i've got i am signing off and i will talk with you soon okay bye